Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of Tea Talks with Guru. We get to listen to some pretty good book reviews. We're also learning about one of the most famous beverages in the world, tea. Today's book is another Greek mythology retelling from the Trojan War, but from the perspective of Helen and her sister, Clytemnestra. You get an insight into what life was like for a royal woman in Greece, which I thought was really nice, even though I absolutely hated how they treated women like chattel to be bargained off. Clytemnestra was an amazing character, in my opinion. Did I like her all the time? Nope. But she was a good character all the same. Helen, I immensely disliked. Even though I sympathised with her at times, I just hated her sense of entitlement because she thought that she was entitled to an easy life by virtue of her birth as a princess. But more on that later. Our tea of the day, in keeping with our Grecian theme, is actually a popular Greek herbal tea, mountain tea, or Iron Man tea, as its Greek name, Sideritis, roughly translates to, is a spear-shaped plant with lots of yellow flowers. It grows in high altitudes and it has a mild, sweet aroma. It can be enjoyed both hot or cold, and it's usually accompanied by a slice of lemon. So it sounds really refreshing. As it is the most commonly found Greek herbal brew, mountain tea usually sets the foundation for more complex brews. The essential oils of this plant have great antimicrobial and antifungal properties and have traditionally been used to treat stress, respiratory inflammation, and gastrointestinal inflammation. So it's quite the sturdy plant we have here. And it must have been invaluable in ancient Greece, especially since disease was so easily caught and that usually followed if um, immediate treatment wasn't administered. Now, on to our story. Daughters of Sparta follows the lives of Clytemnestra and Helen, both princesses of Sparta. The first couple of chapters show the group as children learning how to weave fabric on the loom, as women were expected to do at that time. However, Clytemnestra, heiress of Sparta, found it absolutely bothersome, having to be holed up in a windowless room in the castle, and she'd often run off with Helen to play in Sparta's hills, just outside the castle. Obviously, she'd have to be chaperoned, and she and Helen would usually try to choose the slave girl Agatha or somebody close to their age so that they could play with them. Now, during one of these trips, they encounter a young prince, Theseus, who joins in on their game, together with their slave girl Agatha. However, Theseus and Helen disappear for t- some hours during this game, during which Clytemnestra and Agatha panic. And Clytemnestra, because she can't find Helen and she recognises that Helen is alone with her boy, she runs off to her father and she gets thoroughly scolded before she's locked in her room while her father um, heralds the army to go search Sparta's hills for this young prince and his daughter. And while um, Clytemnestra is locked in her room, Agatha is sent there. Her father had whipped the slave girl in retribution for what Ag- um, Nestra had done and Clytemnestra feels absolutely remorseful even though it really wasn't her fault she keeps on berating herself thinking that because of her her sister will no longer have proper marriage prospects because obviously at that time a woman's value lay in her virginity and she's just very anxious and very frightened now her father is King Tynadarius, king of Sparta and eventually they do find Theseus and Helen, and Theseus and his father, they had visited the castle, they are sent away, 
and all is well for some time. Then her father gets a call that he has to go off to help one of his allies in a war. They fast forward a couple years and we see that Clytemnestra is about to be uh, married off. And her father is actually returning from the war. And his ally in that war, King Agamemnon, King of Mycenae, is actually the husband that he chose for Nestra. Now she's confused because she's the heiress of Sparta. It's what she's been trained her entire life to be. And she's confused as to why a king, who already has his own kingdom, would want to marry her because her kingdom is what would entice suitors to her side. And it's there that her father quite viciously drops the bomb that she will not be the heiress anymore. Helen would be the heiress. Now, Nestra is angry. She is so, so angry. And she tries to go to her mother to let her advocate on her behalf to her father. And she overhears them talking about the fact that Helen um, isn't actually her blood sister. Queen Leda, China Darius's wife, was actually raped by Zeus. So Helen is actually a demigod, for lack of better words. So acknowledging that her sister's marriage prospects are dimming slowly but surely and putting her as the heiress of Sparta is the only really way to secure the, her marriage partner. Nestra be, she allows um, it to happen. She understands why her sister would need Sparta more than her and though it pains her, she accepts it as gratefully as she can. And honestly, I think it was unfair to her. I thought that she should have stayed in Sparta, but say less. Uh, Helen, in this regard, she does, She, I don't think she um, honestly becomes aware of the fact that people doubt her parentage. Uh, Theseus also played a very big part in undermining whatever authority she may have. He spread a lot of rumours about her parentage and the fact that she was not Tynodarius's daughter after he left Sparta. So he played a big role in doing that uh, as a ship move. So... Nestra agrees to marry Agamemnon and she moves away to Mycenae and then you fast forward again a little bit and you see that Helen is actually um she has reached the age to be married off as well and she is heiress of Sparta so that's a very attractive offer in addition to her epiphyte for lack of better words as the most beautiful woman in Greece. So that could be attributed to her godly parentage, Zeus is her father, and a lot of people, uh, they comment on the fact that her hair looks like spun gold, etc. So they have this gathering of all these great heroes, people who fought with Heracles, or Hercules if you don't want the Greek pronunciation, and all these great warriors and seers and whatnot, and they all come to try and fight for Helen's hand. However, Agamemnon goes on behalf of his brother, Menelaus, and immediately Tynodarius is, he's just panicking now because he doesn't want to slight Agamemnon, and it is kind of decided as soon as Agamemnon um, 
goes and attends on behalf of his brother that Helen would marry Menelaus. It also helps that Helen herself, um, she ha- wanted to marry Agamemnon's brother solely because it would make her and Clytemnestra sisters twice over and she really wanted to have the ability to see her sister. She thought that the chance of seeing her sister rather than outright never being able to see her again was better. So that was why she decided to choose Menelaus. However, one of the heroes, I believe, Odysseus, yes, he visited Tendarius, Leda, and Helen when they were conversing in their chambers, and he was quite wise, and he spoke to them and said, clearly they already made a decision or whatnot, but what if all these different heroes and kings and princes that came to fight for Helen's hand, if they announced that Agamemnon's brother is who they chose, they'd all feel slighted and a war might erupt. So Odysseus is actually the mastermind between, behind the whole plan that all these suitors that were there had to pledge an oath that whoever Helen picked as her husband, they would support him and support his claim should anyone ever try endeavor to take Helen away from him. So with that oath sworn, she chose Menelaus and everything was able to go off without a hitch, for lack of better words. So then we have another um, time skip, for lack of better words, and we see that Helen is actually pregnant. Her sister uh, has a couple of kids. She has Iphigenia, which is her oldest daughter. She has Electra, her second daughter. And Helen actually gives birth to a daughter, Hermione, but Helen does not take to motherhood. She becomes very depressed. She doesn't feel anything towards Hermione, and it kind of affects her relationship with Menelaus. She doesn't. Helen, Helen didn't want children. She doesn't want any more. Childbirth took a lot from her, and she felt as if she should not give any more. Now, on one hand, this could be in part due to the fact that she was still very childish and she was used to getting what she wanted. Uh, Her birth, actually, I think, is the only time Helen was able to kind of forge some kind of bond with her mother because Queen Leda never told Helen about um, the fact that Tynadarius wasn't actually her father and that she always had a strange relationship with Helen. She didn't consider Helen her daughter for most of the time. She considered Clytemnestra as her daughter. So that kind of strange relationship. But she was there for Helen when she was pregnant. And she did try at that point. So Helen gives birth to a healthy girl, but the birth was very hard on her. And that traumatic experience kind of pushed her to distance herself she actively sought contraceptives so that she never have to endure the pain and the trauma of childbirth again uh, she did everything she could to try and distance herself from her husband um, at night so you really see how she tried to uh, reclaim herself for lack of better words maybe she didn't go about it the right way but surely you can sympathize with her want of trying to reclaim control over her body after such a traumatic experience on the flip side we see that Clytemnestra though she has tried to make herself fit into this mold that Agamemnon wants her to be quiet obedient a good wife um, seen but not heard that sort of thing he ends up committing quite a gruesome towards Artemis. 
So actually he ends up abducting one of her priestesses in training. Uh, I believe her name is, yes, the girl's name is Lukit. And he takes her as a concubine, unwillingly obviously, but she's unable to put up any kind of fight because he's king, he's a king, and to do so might incite his rage. So she doesn't really have much say in the matter, and Clytemnestra is none too pleased. So a priest of Apollo, Calchas, comes on behalf of the temple to try and get back this priestess in training. However, Agamemnon laughs in his face, basically says that she is no longer fit to be a priestess of Artemis uh, because he took her as his concubine and obviously he had sex with her. And Calchas actually turns out to be Lukip's brother and he approaches Clytemnestra during uh, one of the festivals that they have where she's alone and he begs her to try and help her get to try he begs her to help him get Lukip out. And she does so the first time however, I believe she's caught. And unfortunately, uh she gets uh Agamemnon is quite unhappy. Uh he slaps her and then there's a bit of conflict there uh for a while. And then, eventually, Lukip is returned to Calchas. However, by that time, she is around six months pregnant. And the only reason that she was returned was because Agamemnon ended up injuring himself on a hunting expedition. He fell and he hit his leg. And then he was told that the only way he would be able to get better was if he returned, he appeased Artemis' um, anger and he returned her priestess in training. So, Luki is eventually returned. However, that ends in tragedy, which will be further explained um, later on. So, that's on Nestor's side. Back to Helen now. Menelaus is kind of eager for a male heir as well. And... He tries everything in the book that honestly doesn't help with his relationship with Helen and you really start to see the parallels, the double standards that are held in that world uh, at that time and it honestly is a bit sickening, a bit upsetting. So at that time Helen actually helps host a Trojan party and here the famous um, party Paris from Troy is here and this is actually the beginning of what would incite later the Trojan War. So Menelaus helps host Troy in um in Sparta and then at some point so Helen and Paris are like trading these secretive glances at each other and Helen finally feels comfortable in her own skin. She's getting attention even though it's not from her husband, and at first I believe it was purely innocent. However, then Menelaus had to leave because his grandfather, uh, Catrius, he died and he had to attend his funeral. So Helen had to play host to the Trojan party. And it's here that Paris pounced on her insecurity and her want for attention. 
and he starts whispering pretty things in her ear, in her ear that she wants to hear and eventually after a couple nights doing this he tries to persuade her to leave Sparta to leave Greece and come with him to Troy and Helen is basically all alone there she really doesn't have she doesn't have her sister anymore her mother isn't with her she has been grieving ever since her father passed away so she grasps at that hand that's being held out to her and she leaves Greece in the dead of night with Paris however upon uh going to board the ship she notices that treasure from Menelaus is treasury is also coming with her and when she questions Paris his mask of uh, propriety and charm slips and he watches her very coldly and you start to see little hints of his true personality on the ship fast forward again Menelaus returns to Sparta finds his treasury empty his wife gone and he runs to his brother Agamemnon who at this time i believe is finally blessed uh with a son on the way after so many daughters and he Agamemnon at this point he's restless in his retirement for lack of better words he wants a war and Menelaus coming with this problem gives him the reason to call in the oath that all the suitors made to his brother and he gets in his head this idea of grandeur that Greece lost its flower that's Helen he's referring to and they have to get it back that Troy needs to learn the might of Greece and he has all these delusions of grandeur in his head at this point and you really see that he kind of becomes slightly unhinged uh he's very he's a warmonger for lack of better words Menelaus really just wants Helen back he could care less about the treasure and you really see that he truly cares for Helen despite their rocky relationship and what not so back in Troy Paris actually doesn't really pay much attention to Helen beyond uh trying to either get compliments on his own or complimenting her to gain her uh attention Helen uh well Paris is very self-centered he's one of the youngest of king priam's sons and he's spoiled he doesn't really have um any sense of bravery or uh duty for lack of better words and you'll see that when at some point during the trojan war menelaus and paris actually duel each other and paris cheats and runs away from the duel that duel was supposed to end uh any kind of long-standing conflict between Troy and Greece it was supposed to be that to the winner goes the spoils so whoever died or whoever lost they would um the winner would take Helen and leave and it would have you know saved everybody a lot of resources it would have saved a lot of lives but Paris was a coward so that was very shameful on his part uh another thing to note during this time so Clytemnestra ends up having to reign over uh Mycenae while Agamemnon is gone and it's here that the f- um little uh anger of the gods comes back to bite Agamemnon in the ass because 
the same priest that he laughed at and mocked for wanting Luke back uh, earlier on. He actually is the priest that Agamemnon seeks to take with to interpret the will of the gods for this war. And Calchas incites Agamemnon to sacrifice his eldest daughter Iphigenia because he claims that the gods will only allow the Greeks to sail because there was no headwind at that time and it was prolonging the start of the war. He says that the gods will not allow them to sail unless um, Agamemnon sacrifices Iphigenia. So he asks Nestra to send their daughter on the pretense of marrying her to the Greek's greatest warrior, Achilles. However, she, one of her uh, slaves from when she was a child rushes in to warn her at the detriment of his own life. He ends up dying under Agamemnon's blade. And Nestra, at that point, makes a vow to Hera that should her daughter fall there, she will kill her husband. And she, oh, she's basically helpless and she... She dresses her daughter the morning off as if she's going to her wedding. And then her daughter ends up with her truth slit. Her daughter is sacrificed. And Clytemnestra is heartbroken. It kills something inside of her. It's it's just horrible, horrible, horrible. And then while her husband, Agamemnon, just goes off to war, he can't even meet her eye. He doesn't. Nestra is just completely baffled at the fact that he doesn't care he just killed his own blood she returns and she actually learns how to write and how to um count and that sort of thing because women actually didn't know how to do those things at that time and she learns how to be a queen in the true sense and at that point Agistos who is the son of Theistes, who you learn about just now. He comes under the pretense and he tells her a story of how Eurytheus, a former king of Mycenae, was childless and he took in two brothers who were um, exiled from their kingdom. He tells her the story of Theistes and Atreus. Atreus is the father of Agamemnon and Menelaus and basically... Uh, Agastus is telling the story of how Eurytheus he wanted deities to take the throne and Atreus actually because he was jealous that his wife liked deities he basically caught up deities two young sons and fed them to him and because of the crime of eating human flesh deities was he was run out of the kingdom he was exiled from civil society and then it was really good um good grace of this family of goat herders that he ended up siring a son with their daughter who was Agastus and after telling this story and now Clytemnestra realizes that okay this is a threat to the throne um she tries to summon the guards, realizes that some of the servants actually are aware of this and they're loyal to Theatis' line. And then 
Agastos offers her this ultimatum that he will stay there and be her protector um, because women can't rule alone, for lack of better words. She needs that protection because if Agamemnon should fall, people will, um, his enemies will come and try to overthrow her, try to take over Mycenae. So Clytemnestra realizes that she does, she, her, she has a choice that isn't really a choice and she accepts and they actually do grow closer together. They end up having a son and whatnot. So it actually kind of works out in the end, but obviously at the beginning, Clytemnestra is just angry. She still she has another choice taken away from her. She has another choice that isn't really a choice, you know. And I think that really plays upon the kind of struggles women in ancient times had to deal with. Sometimes they had to choose between the lesser of two evils, and they were really, really bad. So back on the war front now... You see how Helen is uh, actually making friends. I think she makes friends with Cassandra, who is uh, one of who is Paris's one of Paris's sisters, and uh, Cassandra is very quiet, very smart, and this it causes her to be ostracized by the other women of the court in Troy. And you see Helen making friends. Um, eventually, Cassandra actually uh, becomes estranged estranged from her because the man that she was supposed to marry dies in the war. And she blames Helen because the war is for Helen. A lot of women in court are very bitter towards Helen because they think that they, they think that Paris and their king Hector should just give her back so that because she's not worth all this debt and all these resources and whatnot. So you actually see from if you have uh, read the book or listened to the podcast from Song of Achilles, you will. Uh, recognize the scene where when Achilles slays Hector for killing Patroclus he parades the body around uh, Troy and around the camp so Helen from Helen's perspective it looks barbaric it looks like Achilles is uncivilized etc but really from the perspective of Song of Achilles you'll see that Achilles is mourning and that Patroclus did not deserve his death but I guess all's fair in war Anyway, so you see that perspective and I guess it kind of creates dueling sympathies towards Troy or towards Greece. Personally, I think that it was, I just think that um, the war was kind of stupid and really it wasn't for Helen. Uh, It was basically for the pride of the men of both Greece and Troy. Helen was considered to belong to Greece, not to belong to herself. And actually, at the end, when Greece does win the Trojan War, uh, I, if you've heard the legend of the Trojan horse, they actually do, uh, the soldiers end up hiding in a wooden horse. Troy takes them in because they're curious, and then the soldiers spring forth and they siege to the entire capital. It's very bloody. Um, you see the appearance of Achilles' son, who's very, very ruthless and bloodthirsty. And he commits very atrocious war crimes. And you also see Menelaus. He actually does not partake in um, looting the city at all. He simply takes Helen and he leaves. Uh, I do think that the ending leaves much to be desired. I I think it was very... um, I don't know. I just think it was very basic. It could have been better. I I liked some of that. 
Achilles better, but I mean, it was a good book still. It portrayed some really interesting points, and I think that it's a good read. Um, again, it could have ended better. I definitely enjoy reading about Helen and Clytemnestra and the different struggles that these sisters went through. They started off as very innocent, very fun-loving children, and at the end, they were definitely um, totally different people. Uh, Agamemnon, actually, he does end up surviving the war when he returns. Augustus and Clytemnestra plot to fulfill her vow to Hera and kill him. And Cassandra is actually taken as a war slave. And she ends up finding her peace when Agastus mistakenly thinks that she's, um, a, well, that she uh, is a concu- concubine for Agamemnon. And he slits her throat, but in that she finds peace because she no longer has to suffer alone without her lover. And Clytemnestra gets her revenge for Iphigenia and fulfills her vow to Hera. And then she ends up um, ruling with Agastus. So, I guess she gets some kind of peace. I don't think it'll last, though, because having killed um, Agamemnon, Electra, who was um, his daughter, is actually very, very bitter. She, uh, her mother did not let the true news of Iphigenia's death um, be known to her children, so Electra has some misguided anger towards her mother, both for the death of her father and for her what her perceived unfaithfulness because she thinks that her mother didn't love her father and she isn't aware that there's actually a very good reason for all of this. So I'm definitely going to read uh, Electra's story but I think it was really good. Uh, I'm definitely going to do Cersei at some point. I read the book already. It's just to get the podcast underway. But that was Daughters of Sparta. Highly recommend if you want to see some of the most famous Greek stories from the perspective of women. Again, it's always different. And it lets you see some of the uh different these so many struggles they had to go through during that time, which is always cool to see, even if it's not always palatable. So that concludes today's episode. Um as always, if you liked listening to this podcast, consider giving me a follow at T Talks with Kuro. And you can listen to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, as well as the Acast platform. If there's any book that you'd like me to review, or that you'd like to review with me, feel free to DM me, again, at Detox with Kuro. And that is all for today, so I'll see you again next time. Bye!